Hello and welcome to Bread and Roses, a podcast discussing occupational health and safety issues impacting today's workers. In our first segment, Roundup from the Ground Up, we provide background information on this episode's topic, examine the historical context, consider the impacts on workers' health and happiness, and ask the big question, where do we go from here? How's it going? I'm good. How are you, Margaret? I am doing well. Semester is well underway at UIC, so it's a pretty stressful time of year. It is. Um, well, today we are going to talk about the big, the bad, Amazon. Um, it sort of has taken over the world, and we want to talk more about what it is and how it affects workers. And to help us do that, we have a very special guest. We have Roberto Clack. Um, Roberto, do you want to say hi and tell us where you work and a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so my name's Roberto Clack. I'm with the Warehouse Workers for Justice. Uh, I'm the associate director, and we're a worker center based out of uh, Joliet, Illinois, and Will County. Uh, and we've been focused over the last decade on organizing uh, the huge warehouse workforce uh, located in that um, area for uh, stable living wage, uh, good jobs. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about the warehouse landscape? So, like, um, how much of the warehouses are taken up by Amazon? And I know this is changing day to day, but then also, what is the difference between working at an Amazon warehouse versus a Walmart warehouse or something like that? You know, the, there's a lot of problems within the warehouse workforce. Uh, it didn't always used to be that way. Um, you know, a lot of warehouse workers uh, were union members and, and had good jobs. Um, but, you know, slowly, uh, you know, for different reasons, um, you know, the, the work has really gone worse. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the introduction and the proliferation of staffing agencies uh, within the workforce. We did a, a study that um, said 63% of the workers we um, uh, worked with were part of a staffing agency. Um, you know, so there's these uh, elaborate schemes that kind of, uh, you know, uh, keep people at an arm's length and, um, you know, are really created to uh, pass the buck on for being responsible for providing um, benefits or having to deal with things like uh, workers' comp. But, you know, we've seen uh, health and safety as a serious issue, wages um, as a serious issue, a lack of access to benefits. Um, you know, but now we've really in this period where Amazon is ascending uh, as the, the major um, logistics and warehouse company. Uh, for example, in Will County, where we do much of our work, uh, there wasn't a single Amazon uh, in 2015. Uh, and the first one was built in um, August of 2015. 
Um, we've now seen that workforce uh, grow. There's five uh, warehouses in uh, Will County, and now there's between estimates, and it, it fluctuates with the seasons, uh, but between seven and 8,000 workers uh, are Amazon warehouse workers in Will County. So they're not only the largest um, uh, warehouse employer at this point uh, in that area, but now uh, they're, they're actually the largest employer uh, in all of Will County out of any employer. Uh, so we've seen the Amazon really massively expand, um, you know, both as a retailer, but also as a warehouse and logistics company. Yeah. So to give some background on Amazon, it started in 1995 and they were primarily a bookseller, right? And then... Yeah. Barn took over Barnes & Noble first. Yeah. And um, so Bezos, Jeff Bezos, the owner, really tried to craft this business within uh, what he... Sort of the way that his brain worked and his mind worked. Like I heard... When he was first starting to look for a, a wife, he had this data-driven algorithm that he would present to his friends. What? Are you serious? Yeah. And so he approaches everything in that similar way. So now he's approaching his business in this way. So they didn't even break profit until about 10 years in to them working, until them being open, because he only thinks very long-term, and he only thinks about... Um, data-driven, like, how can we maximize our profit? So, um, Roberto, that sort of makes sense that you would use temporary uh, contract workers, temp agencies. And just to give some background on that, if you use a temp agency, then uh, you hire someone, you go to a temp agency, um, and it's not glamorous like in the office or anything like that. You're um, paid... Typically, you're paid um, even through a third party, as you said, but then also the liability for health and safety gets muddied, to say the least. So sometimes people will not be able to make claims. Is that is that fair to say, Roberto? Yeah, that's definitely been uh, our experience. But the you know one of the interesting situations is the actual last mile delivery drivers. Uh, there's an excellent New York Times. Uh, piece that came uh, out within the last couple weeks about uh, fatalities and accidents um, done by uh, the drivers and, you know, and people being frustrated because they can't really hold Amazon accountable to it. Um, you know, the reason that sort of exists, it's, it's similar to the staffing agencies and third party uh, logistics companies where, you know, uh, much of that workforce is contracted out. Uh, so at the Chicago delivery station, uh, DCH1, uh, there's probably a dozen different um, uh, delivery uh, companies that actually deliver the last mile packages to uh, people. Um, you know, and that, you know, that kind of scheme, you know, I feel like is intentionally done not only to, um, you know, lower labor standards, but also to really dodge responsibility uh, around some of these issues like uh, accidents, uh, work their workforce, um, you know, and you compare kind of the wage of a uh, of an Amazon driver to a UPS driver, you know, fifteen dollars an hour and 
a UPS driver is making, you know, at least 25 or more plus, you know, much better benefits and uh, workplace rights, but they're essentially doing the same uh, work, you know, but one of the things the union would do for a UPS driver is also, uh, you know, fight for the, the safety of, of that driver and make sure that they have the training because it is a very dangerous uh, job, one of the most dangerous jobs. Right. It was my understanding that those that Amazon is contracting out the last mile or I think they call it maybe Amazon Flex. Like you can it's almost like Uber for Amazon package deliverers. So if you wanted to go to the warehouse and pick up packages and run your car around, you could just do that and anyone can do it. Is that how that position works or are they actual Amazon employees? There, there's both. There is the Amazon Flex, which is, you know, the, the independent contractors uh, sort of status like Lyft and uh, Uber, which we would consider a misclassification. Uh, but there's also there's also you, a lot of the vans you see on the street. Uh, those those are separate companies altogether. Uh, so just, you know, don't shoot the messenger or Scoobies. And there's there's probably a dozen or so at just the Chicago delivery station. Uh, and it's, it's pretty impressive when you go there, by the way, um, you know, you go, you know, we, we outreach workers and talk to them there and, you know, you'll see hundreds of vans lining up every morning to, and cars, uh, you know, getting loaded and, you know, going out into the Chicago neighborhoods to, uh, you know, give, uh, you know, people their, their packages. Yeah, well, another thing that they do is they buy other huge companies. So speaking of scale, so recently they bought Whole Foods. Um, When they were starting out, they were competing with Zappos, so they bought Zappos. They were competing with Audible, so they bought Audible. So anything um, that they are competing with, they'll undercut um, or Or buy. buy. So they just have so much money that they can do that kind of thing. But how that I think plays into workers is now, and I don't know exactly what's happening with other companies, but with Whole Foods, they're now lowering their standards. So they've just cut, um, you know, a big reason to work at Whole Foods used to be because they give health insurance to part-time workers. And now they're, um, they just cut 10,000 part-time workers health insurance at Whole Foods. So they're extending their model more broadly so that just brings down all of these low wage workers yeah right well just decreases quality to workers you know now no one has any incentive to work for companies because amazon can buy them out reduce benefits right so it's like it's interesting that you were saying that they sort of they've changed the warehouse industry but i I think also they're changing the entire economy um, and and certainly low-wage occupations. Um, You know, one thing I kind of wanted to touch on in that vein is this quota system. So I know um, there's been a lot of reporting about workers in the warehouses are on this timer. So if you uh, need to use the restroom or you are not quick moving, you'll get sort of penalized and... Uh, Roberto, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how those, what have 
you know, what have you experienced or heard about the quota systems and? You know, this is, um, you know, and they're referred to as, there's all this, um, you know, all this language, um, euphemisms or lingo that a Amazon has. Um, yeah. So, um, so uh, you know, so they, call it, they call it, yeah, they call it raid and, um, you know, they, I, I don't remember all of it, but, um, you know, they're very um, strong with this. But, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways what we're seeing from Amazon is unprecedented as far as the surveillance and, um, you know, using algorithms um, and, uh, you know, really just uh, constantly pushing uh, the workforce faster and faster and faster. And, you know, a lot of people um, work part-time uh, in, in the warehouses, four-hour shifts. And, you know, some of the workers tell us that, like, look, like I, like, I can't imagine actually doing the job for more than four hours because they make you work so hard and they push you so fast. And they're so sophisticated in the way that they keep track of everyone. Um, you know, so I think it's a... You know, it's a major, major concern, um, you know, that we have. And, um, you know, something that people really have to keep in mind is, uh, you know, they're, they're doing this to try to satisfy um, the customers. You know, a lot of, um, you know, the only, the only uh, disadvantage e-commerce e e and this model uh, really has is, uh, you know, that feeling of instant gratification when you walk into a store and you buy something, um, you know, and you bring it home and, and you feel great about uh, having that thing. And basically what they're trying to replicate with this new e-commerce models to be able to uh, get you something as quickly as possible through uh, e-commerce and the last mile delivery drivers um, to be able to replicate that feeling. But, you know, in order to have this infrastructure where you can receive, you can go online and um, uh, receive a package within 24 hours, there's, there's a real cost to that and there's a human cost. Um, you know, and I think that's what people have to keep in mind when we talk about some of those things. Yeah, I heard this talk once from this woman, she was talking about um nail salons in New York City and they're very exploitive um, even to the point of like human trafficking it's really bad and she was like you know you pay if you pay a little bit for a service and you're surprised by that you have to understand that that cost is somebody is bearing that cost right um, and in that case it's definitely the workers and it sounds like this case too I did want to you know I I want to kind of dig in a little bit on this quota system because I don't know if you guys have been reading that New York Times has these series out called 1619, and it's all about the different elements of our society that are derived directly from slavery. And they talk about um, the, the economics of the quota system or um, with the threat of violence this um, in slavery, the threat of violence, you had to pick more cotton or you would be beaten and that's how they got every last bit out of these people and um, I think that that's similar to what's happening here and the threat of violence isn't 
um, physical, but it's a structural violence. You know, it's like you're going to lose your job. You maybe live in an area of the United States where you don't have a lot of options otherwise. So you're going to do whatever you have to do to keep this job. And Right. You're going to lose whatever benefits you have, whatever you're doing to keep your family stable. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's right. And we, we work with populations that are already um, vulnerable or have, um, you know, problems with access to employment to begin with. So that could have to do with um, your immigration status, um, which is less of an issue at Amazon because they do the I-9 audits. But the... Um, you know, but we have people who have criminal um, backgrounds, you know, and we see that and that's, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, African-Americans are disproportionately affected um, and singled out by the criminal justice system. Um, you know, so I think this parallels really powerful because we see uh, employers really take advantage of that because they know that people have less options. So they're going to be more afraid. Um, uh, to, uh, you know, speak out or, you know, be a part of an organizing job drive because they know that, uh, you know, they may have problems getting another job. Yeah, well, so that I think can bring us to what does this actually mean for the workers? And I think maybe the perfect analogy to, to tie this back to Bezos is when they first started working there, um, he didn't they didn't have a lot of money so they would buy doors and there's this famous door desk or I don't know exactly the word they call it yeah but they um, prided themselves on the fact that they were frugal even though they were miserable to work at right like it's not ergonomic to work on some crappy door, door. that's like tied into it so I think Bezos is I think that's a good analogy because it he and him being the like greater him looks at workers as straight utility. So they're cogs in the machine. They're um, filling spots until he can get his army of robots up. But like, how does, well, just to throw some stats at it, um, uh, Amazon was part of the quote unquote dirty dozen from the National Council on Occupational Health and Safety. They had seven workers killed in a warehouse since 2013. Um, the working conditions can be um, unsanitary. They're um, ergonomically sort of very hard. Um, and then they have um, a lack of benefits, as we've talked a little bit about. But then also, they're generally low wage. And he did raise the minimum wage uh, or their wage to $15 an hour, but a lot of the workers are still um, using uh, social benefits, social safety nets, um, like food stamps and uh, Medicare, Medicaid, because they're not getting enough money. Uh, so, Well, and that doesn't include all the contract workers who are not making $15 an hour. True. Yeah. So how does working at Amazon, working for Amazon, and I just want to note too, like we're talking about warehouse workers, but you can read this stuff, similar types of uh, toxic work environment, all the way up to the top with the engineers and uh, the tech people. It's it's a pretty corrosive environment from the top down. But how does that affect the workers' health? 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not uncommon for, for workers to uh, have injuries. Some of our members, um, you know, it's um, pulling a back muscle are, you know, we actually had um, a member have a stroke uh, at an Amazon warehouse. Um, whether that, you know, had to do with a pre-existing condition or not, you know, it's, I'm, you know, we're not a doctor, but, you know, does the, does the uh, pace that uh, Amazon sets, um, you know, worsen those kind of situations? We know that uh, in that same warehouse, a, a worker actually died. Um, it, and he had a heart attack and Amazon delayed um, uh, medical attention. Now his wife is suing um, the um, Amazon. Um, but, you know, I, something that's also been said to us all the time is that, you know, when you work at an Amazon uh, warehouse, it's got this very cold and impersonal feeling. Um, you know, you can kind of compare that to Walmart, which was kind of like ideological and like, we're all family and, you know, this is, you, you know, they, they kind of uh, projected this kind of feeling where to Amazon doesn't really, um, you make those pretenses, you know, and people do to uh, state us, they feel like, you know, they are a robot are, you know, like they're just, you know, uh, crunching numbers and, you know, so it's got this very cold feeling and that's, that's definitely something uh, people related to, to us, um, you know, it's part of their experiences uh, working there. And, you know, now now they're the, the largest uh, warehouse employer. So, um, and isn't that you know, in, part, in part due to the high turnover rate? And then also, um, like I, I was reading that they have, um, they pit you against each other, essentially. So you could rat someone out, they have a tip line, so you could say, you know, Margaret was, you know, taking a long cigarette break or whatever. Um, but then they also rate you in the top or the bottom 10% um, for extra kind training. of pushed out or extra training. Um, so is, is that what makes it kind of impersonal or what, what well, about Well, I would also work? add maybe I've read a lot of reports that there are no windows in any of these warehouses and maybe it's discouraged to like even have conversations with other people, maybe that's time waste. Is that true? You know, I, so the, the, the part about turnover is definitely uh, true. So, you know, that, that makes it harder to have relationships and there's always, you know, uh, people are always leaving, you know, some of the work, some of the, you know, like the drivers, you know, that they're, they're separated you know, an entire day from one of, from one another, but some certain warehouses, um, workers will interact, um, with each other more than others. Um, you know, so there's, you know, I think that's part of it. I think like definitely the algorithms, you know, the, there is this, um, you know, competition that they do create, you know, and they do, they're keeping track of everything so they can qual quantify, um, you know, like exactly how much you're doing. Um, you know, I, I would say that they, they definitely engender, um, you know, s some of these dynamics within the workplace. So 
what can we do about it, right? There's, it's the United States of Amazon, and 50% of households in the United States have Amazon Prime. We're all using it. Everybody wants their stuff uh, right away. Uh, they have these uh, bots and trolls that sort of like promote the great working environment that they have there. And um, a lot, you know, they own a lot of our data. They're selling it. They're just sort of massive to take on. So, Roberto, what can we do? What are you guys doing? What can workers do? Yeah, you know, I think I think there are still signs of in, encouragement. Um, you know, I think that Amazon, you know, doesn't do anything, uh, or Jeff Bezos does anything out of the kindness of their heart. But we have seen that, um, you know, when people really call them out and organize and put pressure, uh, that they'll do things like raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Or, you know, just a couple weeks ago, an effort we were involved with, um, you know, Jeff Bezos uh, committed to, uh, reduce his carbon footprint uh, by 80% by 2024. I, you know, I definitely think there's devil in those details. Uh, but even that, you know, a movement was able, and part of it was his workforce organizing to hold him accountable. Um, you know, I think that it, it is a corporation that's, um, uh, you know, vulnerable and responsive to organizing and putting pressure on them to change. You know, and there are there are other discussions. It's, you know, should Amazon be able to move into other markets? Uh, you know, we you mentioned the web services and uh, Whole Foods, but we know that they're looking at housing, uh, and we know that they're looking at the medical industry. You know, and it's, you know, should Amazon even be allowed to do that? Or do they need to be broken up or, you know, not allowed uh, to, you know, just take over entire markets? Um, you know, so I think those are, you know, some of the discussions, um, you know, we really need to, to have. And, you know, I think that people are coalescing around, you know, the idea that we need, you know, we need a broad movement and we need something uh, that's, uh, broader than just uh, worker struggles. That's why we supported uh, climate activists. That's why we uh, work with people who are talking about Amazon's monopoly and needs to be broken up. Um, you know, that's why we're uh, in solidarity with organizers who are calling out Amazon's role uh, with ICE uh, and, you know, Amazon's role in uh, violating people's data and privacy. It's, it's going to take a big movement to, you know, take on the richest man in the world and one of the largest companies, uh, you know, so I think that that people um, need to build alliances uh, to really hold them accountable, you know, and I'm, I'm optimistic and I, I, I see some, you know, some good things happening in all of this, too. Yeah, it's uh, like we we don't need to get to Mars quite yet, Jeff. Let's. Help the people That's on right. Earth that are here right now. <laughs> um, oh. right, well, how so, how close are like how close are we to having a pretty unionized workforce at Amazon? Is that a possibility at all? I I think it's a possibility, but I I don't think that it's um. I mean, I think we're going to see more worker activities, but I I, I think we're we're probably 
uh, a ways off from that as, as we speak. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, you know, are intimidated by uh, the idea of taking on such a big employer uh, like that. And, you know, I think you'd have to be very strategic about um, how you went about organizing them because they, they um, their network's so large that, you know, the danger is, and you kind of saw this with Walmart where, you know, there, there's a story about the butchers uh, organizing. So they just like got rid of like, you know, the entire um, practice of that within their whole company. Mm. Um, you know, so the, you know, the, the thing is, is you'd have to have sort of things all moving at the same time uh, in order for them to just say, hey, well, you know, we don't need this warehouse. We, we have um, other warehouses that serve the same function that we can just move all the product out of there instead. So I think, I think that's part of the challenge um, that, and just, you know, the enormity uh, of the workforce. It just, it just, it takes a lot of resources to organize uh, things, you know, things like this. Yeah. Well, what you guys are doing is definitely making a difference and we appreciate what you do and wish you luck with it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. We, you know, this is, you know, this has to be an important fight for the, the labor movement. Yeah. And all the different conversations we have on this podcast, I think kind of always get back to the strength of organizing. And I do think it's great that you guys are building uh, connections across different interests, but also different um, industries. And I think that eventually, yeah, maybe we can have some sort of mass. Uh, a new a new labor movement. Yeah. The economy is doing really well. Workers are in the position to bargain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm I'm really excited by the you know possibilities. You know, I was really. Um, uh, you know, inspired by the, the Amazon tech workers organizing around climate change, um, you know, that they, you know, I feel like they showed, um, you know, that they, they could reel in their bosses. There, there's still a lot of work to be um, done on that front. But, I, you know, I really feel, especially with the global climate strikes, um, you know, really they, they had the largest strikes our largest action since the start of the Iraq war. I feel like we're here in a movement moment, you know, where if you can get warehouse workers and tech workers uh, to sort of acknowledge each other's struggles and uplift, you know, both the workplace fights and the need to uh, clean up our environment that, you know, we could, um, we can do a lot of damage in the years to come, so. Yeah, that's great. That's really promising. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us tonight, and best of luck in your work. Thank you so much. Our second segment, So What Do You Do?, is an homage to Studs Terkel's groundbreaking series of interviews with workers entitled Working. People talk about what they do all day and how they feel about what they do. Published in 1974 by Random House. From those, the big ring, they get in a break. That person suddenly comes alive. They're of that group, not away from it. They have a way of talking, a certain insight. 
that enables them to say things all the others feel but can't express. The same people who don't think they're important. When they say sometimes, they never heard their voice on a tape recorder before. So play it back to me. So I play back the voice and the person says, I never knew I felt that way before. It's also self-revelation. In this segment, we hear the story of a worker impacted by this episode's topic. So, what do you do? My name's Tim, and I am from Indianapolis. My name's Lupita, and I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I work for Amazon in a customer returns warehouse. I've been there for about four months. I started working there because I I needed a place, I needed a job, and I knew that they were hiring. Um, And so I went and applied and started a couple weeks later. Well, I used to work at Amazon when I was a college student during the summers and a little bit afterwards when I couldn't find a job. And so in total, I worked at an Amazon warehouse for about a year. Um, And then that year, um, I kind of did a little bit of everything um, in Amazon. Um, So I was a picker. I started as a picker and I started as a temporary worker through this agency that my friend and I just applied to for fun Um, and the next week we were working at Amazon Um, and it did take about a couple months um, depending on your job and how you did for Amazon to hire you as a permanent worker so if you did good um, and had good numbers Amazon would consider hire you on directly. So that's what happened with me. What do I do on a normal day from start to finish? Well, my shift starts at 6.30 in the morning, so I'm usually up around 4.50 and get there, have a cup of coffee, which is free, which is nice. It's not the best coffee, but it is free. And from there, um, what I do really depends on where I go. Um, where I'm assigned to. As it's a customer return warehouse, most of the employees there process returns. That involves scanning at a station with a computer that leads you through a user interface. Um, You get a package and um, you follow the user interface and at the end of it, and at the end of the questions it asks you, it'll tell you whether the item is um, could be resold or whether it needs to be returned to the vendor or whether uh, we need to send it further down the line to someone else to um, repackage it or uh, clean it or whatever we need to do. So um, most employees start off doing that until they got a good grasp of it. Um, And then it's possible they'll get moved into support roles. That's currently where I spend most of my time. There are a number of support roles. Um, We have to make sure that all the processors have everything they need. Um, We need someone to handle all the packages that were returned incorrectly or um, have uh, details of problems that the neural processor isn't trained for. And there's the whole support staff that, uh, um, that repackages, cleans, Everything that needs to be done gets done in that warehouse. Um, so I've been there for, like I said, about uh, four or five months, and I've uh, received the benefit of a lot of the training. So I'm able to work 
in a number of different positions. I normally um, solve uh, problems that processors wouldn't either either aren't trained for or don't have access to the software to do. Um, or I'll spend time uh, basically restocking uh, the processors' um, stations with bags and stickers and whatever else they need answering questions. So we get, um, you know, standard two 15-minute breaks and half-hour lunch. Um, we work 10-hour shifts, 10, four 10 hours. So I'm usually out of there by about five-ish. Um, so the day can be kind of, kind of um, monotonous occasionally. Um, thankfully, as I mentioned, I, I have a lot uh, more training, so I have more access to different positions. They assign you one. You don't get to pick, but you know, um, my, my tasks really can vary from day to day, which is nice. And so as a picker, uh, that is a really demanding, physically demanding job. So a picker, really what they do is they run around the whole warehouse with a cart and a scanner, um, and then you just kind of go around and pick items um, from different areas, and the scanner tells you what item and where to go. Um, and then you just load it onto the cart, and once it's full, then you bring it to this area where the packers will pack it up in boxes and ship it out. Um, so I worked the night shift, so 7 p.m. Oh God, I don't remember exactly, either 7 or 5 p.m. till 5 or 7 a.m. Um, so I would get there uh, about 10 minutes early, kind of get hydrated, because in Phoenix, the warehouses are really hot, and you can't have water with you in the warehouse, but there are water stations around, so if you happen to be walking around with your car and there's water, of course you can drink it, but um, so just make sure to stay hydrated. Um, we clock in and then we all kind of gather to stretch for 10 minutes, um, like our shift would just stretch and it was just, it wasn't just pickers, it would be the packers and shippers, the people um, in other areas, the people um, driving the the big cart, so everybody would just stretch at the start shift, um, and we, we would just kind of take turns leading the stretches, and then we would all kind of disseminate, go to our specific areas. I would go grab a scanner, um, and it's just kind of your luck. Sometimes scanners give you good routes, and sometimes they don't, and that's what kind of sucked. Sometimes you just don't know what you're going to do that day, so... One day you can get a scanner and then the workload would be in an area and it's all kind of together. Like let's say you have an area of the warehouse and it's like rows one through 100 and all of your picks would be in a row, like row one and then row three and then row 10. Um, and sometimes you would get a scanner with a load that had go to row one and then row 200. Oh, then come back to row 50 and it just happened. I don't know. The computer just did things that way. And so um, when you had items like that, you couldn't just you couldn't just pick another route. You just had to do it. And with that, um, it would hurt your numbers because you would be, of course, running around a bigger 
um, area of the warehouse and so getting the items would take a little longer and they do not time you but they do record how long it took um, for you to get those items and cumulatively if they start seeing that your numbers are getting low then they kind of come talk to you and ask you why you're being slow and if there's a problem but really sometimes you just can't help it but anyway so yeah so you just get a scanner start getting your items um, so you just grab a cart um, and sometimes items are small and big um, and if items are big you obviously fill your cart faster and you have to keep coming to the shipping area faster to drop it off um, and there's this one part of the warehouse where I worked that was three stories. Um, so you have to put your cart in the elevator and then you can't ride the cart with in the elevator with a cart. So you kind of have to take the stairs all the way down to the third floor. But your cart can take the elevator. Um, and I hated that part. I hated it because you have to run up the stairs and down. And let's see what else. Um, so that's picking. I think I usually walked about 15 to 20 miles a day. And if you were really good, at the end of your shift, the managers would ask you to do one more pick. So it was kind of good and bad if you were good because they would pick on you to do an emergency uh, order or something so I really didn't like that <laughs> but it was fine um, you got two breaks uh, 15 minute breaks and then a 30 minute lunch break in the middle of your shift um, and so that was picking um, and there were a few times when I got asked to do other things um, like become a focus coach so um, they asked me that because they asked people who had some like people skills and a little bit of education to be a focus coach during uh, seasons that were really busy um, like if there was an item that was selling a lot or maybe during the holidays um, there were a lot of workers coming in, and so they would ask me to be a focus coach, basically to train people who were new and needed a little bit of help kind of getting around the warehouse and with their numbers and um, just helping them improve their their work. Um, so I just kind of walked around with a clipboard, and I had a list of people who were new um, and just checked on them, make sure that uh, they were doing their job and if they had any questions. Um, to ask them. Um, so I kind of fluctuated between being a focus coach and then being a picker, depending on what they needed that day. Whenever I got asked to do that, um, I like that because you just walk around helping people. You don't have to be running around. You don't have to depend on a route and time and, and items. Um, so, um, and a lot of people there spoke Spanish um, or had kind of like broken English. So being a focus coach, I enjoyed because I could help those people understand better what they were doing 
or they had any questions, especially since the turnover of workers was so high, especially during the holidays when they just worked like a couple months. Um, they really weren't there to, you know, to, I don't know, I don't want to say do things right, but to be the best worker, have the best numbers, they were just there to make some money. So, and with that comes safety issues and, um, of course, the risk of getting fired before you want to leave. So I would just walk around and help them um, kind of just go around the warehouse, help them with HR things too, if they if they were missing some items, um, helping them out, filling out forms. Um, and so that was my job as a focus coach. I currently make $15 an hour, which is the starting rate for Amazon employees. So when I first started with the temp agency, I think it was like ten fifty, <laughs> um, and that was I think in like twenty eleven or twenty thirteen, um, and then with Amazon, you start at eleven fifty, and I think I had a differential of twenty five cents just for working the overnight shift, um, and then eventually. If I would have stayed there longer, people who stayed there that I knew that were there for five years were making $15 an hour, but it obviously took a long time. Um, so not very much. What can the public do to make my job easier? Thankfully, in my opinion, I don't deal too much with the public in my in my role. I deal more with what the public returns to Amazon, so I guess return the right items in the right packaging? So most of these people, yes, they were, they've been laid off of other jobs, um, especially with the changing, um, the ways that people shop. And there were a lot of people there that were um, elderly and the job at Amazon is very repetitive, um, especially if you're not a picker um, where you're moving around. People that stack items and bins are in the same row, like in the same area for the 12-hour shift. And they would get knee problems, um, their back would hurt, and they were kind of a little bit slower too. And so I would just remember that these people are still getting paid the same as everybody else in the warehouse and um, they probably came from jobs where they were getting paid more and so maybe in the future I know that the consumer doesn't really have the power to do this but I think warehouse workers should get paid a little more it's a it's a hard job and and just to consider that and remember when when you make an online order, there's somebody on the other side, and it's not a robot that's that's getting your items and um, getting it to your door in one or two days. What makes me proud about my work? One thing that I do really uh, appreciate about where I work is, um, although it's a large enough staff, if you are willing to work hard, you it's pretty easy to get noticed. Um, one reason why I've received as much training as I, as I have is because I, I always try to, to strive to, to work hard and, and to um, 
perform as best I can. It's become my own adage that the harder I work, the faster the day goes. And it's, it's helped me out a lot. Um, so one thing I'm proud of is just that um, I, I feel like I enjoy a good reputation of being someone that people can uh, turn to to get stuff done. Um, I'll have my associates ask me questions when um, when they don't know something. They'll find me. They'll look for me if they need something. It's just a, it's a nice um, feeling, even though my shift consists of maybe uh, 100, 200 people. It still feels nice to be able to, um, in a group that size. Um, feel as though you're someone that people can look to uh, for help and and, and can uh, know that, that you can get stuff done for them. Um, the person I remember that really made my time there easier was, um, she wasn't even my direct manager from Amazon. She was the manager on site for the temp agency. Uh, her name is Deborah. And she was always really nice to me and understood that I was a college student. And then when I graduated college and I was having a hard time finding a job or just knowing that I had other plans for school, um, she took that into consideration. And that's why she made me a focus coach to kind of help me out to develop those skills. And so she saw that in me and she helped me. Until this day, I, I still keep in touch with her. Um, so I appreciated that about her, that she um, she considered me and she helped me out. And really, she would help anybody out that wanted it and that she thought she felt that could benefit from it. Because, of course, there's people who, who just don't care or don't really want to do anything else. But, but if you want to grow and if you want to um, move up or do something within the company... Um, she would see that in people and she would help them out. So I appreciated that about her. And there was some fun stuff that we did, um, like during the holidays. Um, I remember for Easter, we would have like potlucks or competitions, like baking contests. Um, I remember winning a baking contest and I got first place. And so I got like a $100 Amazon gift card. And Amazon would do that too. They would randomly... Um, give out gift cards uh, during our breaks or recognition here and there uh, for workers. Um, and that was fun. There were opportunities for overtime, especially during busy uh, seasons. Um, so that was nice, especially for people that needed the extra money. And um, I like the people that I worked with. Um, I got along with a lot of the older people for some reason. I guess they were just more understanding and responsible, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that about people. And so, when I was a focus coach, and I was able to help them too, um, it felt good. In terms of my health and happiness, the worst part of my work really might just be waking up so early. But then again. Uh, a 10-hour shift is is not that bad because there's only four of them. I get a three-day weekend, which is really nice. I actually think I uh, prefer it to a normal um, five-day, eight-hour shift. 
we stand all day, but your feet get used to it. And um, all the uh, managers also stand. We all stand. No one sits, which is appreciated. Um, I know that uh, my warehouse is has a reputation of being a really well-managed warehouse, but I know that some others um, in Amazon, at least among the employees, have a reputation of, of really being kind of grindhouses where they can really grind you down. I haven't experienced that in my uh, workplace, which is fantastic. Um, overall, I'm, I'm pretty content there. I mean, the work is varied enough, and you get used to the work and, and the physical labor is never more than you can handle. So overall, I, I don't feel it's that detrimental. Um, Amazon did a pretty good job too with safety and making sure their, their workers were safe and hydrated, especially in, in the summer. So they, you can always take water breaks whenever you could take um, in the I guess kitchen or break room. We had a big uh, free Gatorade whenever you wanted. And what else? Um, so I think those are the the things that I appreciated that they were looking out for their workers and making sure everybody was safe and um, had a good working environment in that aspect. It can be a very lonely job um, because. You have to get your work done, so you can't really talk to anybody. And if, like, for example, for me as a picker, yeah, you see, you run by by pickers all the time and friends that you make, but you can't stop and talk to them because you're on a mission, pretty much. And so sometimes the only times you can talk to people are during your break, and that's it. Um So it can be a little lonely. Um I don't remember if you could have music you can't because you have to have nothing in your ears to kind of just hear um people behind you and um the intercom so that's what I didn't like and it made the day go by really slow um but yes definitely the, the turnover in warehouses is huge and it does impact um the workflow but overall I have more good to say about it than bad, but there are some areas that need a little, a little improvement, and I don't know what it's like now, because that was like seven years ago. I hope things, some things have improved. In our final segment, we'll hear a summary of the occupational safety and health issues involved with this episode's topic. This is a hot take from an IH. Hello, I'm Tom Roman, and I'm bringing you today's IH Hot Take. I am the Western Regional Safety and Health Coordinator and Certified Industrial Hygienist for Ecology Environment in the Seattle office. Uh, before working at Ecology Environment, I was a OSHA inspector for Washington State uh, for seven years, uh, focusing mostly on industrial hygiene inspections of workplaces located in Washington State. A major hazard facing workers at warehouse and fulfillment centers are ergonomics hazards. Those workers are known to walk several miles a day and do tasks that involve lifting, bending, awkward postures, and repetitive motions. 
Musculoskeletal disorders accounted for more than one-third of all workplace injury and illness cases throughout the U.S., and warehouse and fulfillment center workers are especially at risk for these disorders. In order to reduce the risk of musculoskeletal disease in warehouse workers, engineering controls and industrial design are recommended. Setting up warehouses to avoid unnecessary bending, lifting overhead, and automating or eliminating tasks that involve repetitive motions can greatly reduce the incidence of musculoskeletal disease in warehouse workers. Another safety and health risk factors for warehouse workers is the high turnover rate and high percentage of workers at a given warehouse with little or no experience. Employees in the first month of a job are at three times greater risk of injury or illness compared to workers that have more than a year on a job. Effective training and encouraging good, safe employees to stay are some of the only things that can mitigate this risk. The final risk is poor employee sanitation. Stories have been written about warehouse workers not being given time to use the bathroom and coming up with creative ways to take biological breaks on the warehouse floor. Aside from being unhygienic and disgusting, lack of adequate bathroom breaks can cause urinary tract infections and other bladder and renal diseases. Additionally, employees may not adequately hydrate for a job that requires miles and miles of walking to avoid having to use the bathroom later. Dehydration can cause a whole host of problems, including fainting, overheating, dizziness, and falling, all of which are extra dangerous at a fast-paced warehouse environment. Encouraging workers to hydrate and not penalizing them for performing their biological functions are a training and administrative control that can solve this problem. Warehouse fulfillment centers and the warehouse workforce are two growing segments of the U.S. economy. While the specter of automation looms on the horizon, employers can take simple steps to make life better and safer for their employees now. Installing ergonomic solutions, limiting employee turnover, and encouraging proper employee sanitation can all have a marked improvement on workers' safety and health. Thanks for listening and continuing to work for a safe and healthy life for all workers. This has been Tom Vroman with the IH Hot Take. Thanks for listening to Bread and Roses. If you have any questions or would like to call in as an expert, send us an email at breadandrosespod at gmail.com or call and leave a message at 312-883-4942. And if you'd like to tell us what you do, record an audio file of your answers to the seven questions listed in our show description and email it to breadandrosespod at gmail.com.